that which we have heard from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would just uh, open our ears and our hearts this morning um, as we hear um, from Justin, but from you, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be working as he preaches, um, that his words would be your words. And God, that we would just be open to what you have for us, that we would be um, convicted, that we would be changed, um, and that your word would be living and active in our lives. It's your name I pray. Amen. Awesome. You can be seated. Thanks, Becca. Well, good morning. We're excited to start a new book of the Bible this morning, the book of 1 John. And so if you have your Bible, um, I would encourage you to turn there. It's way at the back, and uh, you can find it. Go all the way to the book of Revelation and turn back to the left, and you will, uh, you'll find it. If you're uh, grabbing a seat there, you probably found one of our discipleship guides. We would encourage you to grab one of these. Uh, this is going to outline, this is something new we're going to be doing with our sermon series, uh, but really providing some guidance. We've taken from different commentaries and sources and provided word studies in there, as well as group discussion that's going to happen within our community groups, as well as kids' activities that are going to happen in our community groups. And so, would encourage you to follow along. This is going to take us all the way through Advent, and uh, we're excited to really have this as a resource uh, for First John, and so uh, would encourage you to follow along, take notes, and uh, thank you to uh, the wonderful ladies who uh, crafted this journal for us, because it takes a lot of time to actually put these pages together. So we're thankful for that. Um, as way of introduction, I just want to give a few announcements as we have your attention. One, today is our first ever Join in the Family lunch, and we're excited. We're looking forward to beginning to welcome people to the family of Ecclesia, people who say, I'm all in, people who commit and take responsibility for the family. And over the course of the fall, we will actually have three of these lunches, and then we'll be presenting those people the following Sunday. And so hopefully next Sunday, uh, if these people pass today, not really, that's not how it works. But uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have some folks to present you to the family. And uh, I'm going to be included in one of those people that's presented next Sunday because I'm going to join the family. Isn't that weird? The pastor actually has to join the family too. I have to commit and be responsible. Um, second of all, we're on pace, all right? We're on pace for mid-December mid -December for our build out of our building. And that's good news. Uh, we're excited. A lot of things are moving uh, forward. And uh, there are um, 
and this is one of the things that I would prepare us for. There is like four to five projects that uh, we have signed up for. You don't know that you've signed up for it yet, but we have signed up for as a church uh, that, that we're going to help with some of the build out and reduce some of our cost. And so if you're somebody who like is, is handy when it comes to uh, painting, organizing, scheduling, uh, there's probably few weekends that we need to give to this project to, uh, to be able to do that and to be on pace. Uh, so I would encourage you to find me maybe after the gathering this morning if that's something you'd love to help with. Um, another uh, just cool story of our immeasurably more giving. Uh, this, this past week, we heard of a church in rural West Virginia. I don't know that there's actually an urban West Virginia, but in rural West Virginia, there's a small church there um, that uh, has been leasing for several years. They're part of our Acts 29 network. And come to find out, last week, uh, they were being bought out of their building. And so they had to come up with funds really quickly, and uh, they needed to come up with about $19,000 to be able to move forward with the purchase of their building. And what was cool about that is 19 churches within our Acts 29 network came up with $1,000 and sent them, and now they're able to move forward with the purchase of this building. And you guys got to help participate in that. And so that's what I love about our Measurably More. We get to use those resources to bless other communities, other churches. And because of your giving and your faithful generosity, uh, we got to support a church in rural West Virginia and their continuation and really planting of their, their church there, which was awesome. And uh, so thank you for that. And then uh, lastly, I already mentioned uh, just the discipleship guide. So if you don't have one, grab one around you. We're in the book of First John, and I love walking through books of the Bible. One, because we get to really dive into the context. We really get to see what is happening here in the book of 1 John, what is John addressing? And this letter was written about 80 years after Christ, okay? So about 80 years after Christ walked the face of the earth, he, he went to the cross, he resurrected, he ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven. Here's John writing to second or third generation Christians. And what's interesting about this is as he's writing to these second and third generation Christians, he really wastes no time. This is one of the, the unique letters we have in the New Testament that doesn't actually mention that it was written by John. Now, if we read into second and third John, we'll see that there's some addressing of that. But John really kicks into the story and he's like, hey, really, it doesn't matter who I am. I'm gonna get really right down to like, this is what matters, Jesus. And he's, he's wanting to just say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. I want, I want you to meet Jesus. I want to introduce you to Jesus. I want to make sure that you know Jesus. And he just starts his letter out right there with Jesus. What's interesting is I sat with my family this, this week. I read 1 John 1, 1 through 4. And I asked my family, I was like, hey, when you hear that, what does that sound like? And my daughter, she spoke up and she said, that sounds like the gospel of John. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Because this starts out, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And there's a similar rhythm and cadence to these words that are used. 
When we look at John 1, the gospel of John, and we look back, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things that were made were made through Him, and without Him not anything was made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of man. This light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. And you're going to see this same rhythm and cadence and word usage all throughout the, the book of 1 John. So this is written by John. Now what's interesting about John is John is one of the, the, the only disciples and apostles that didn't die a martyr's death. The other 11 all died a martyr's death. They died for proclaiming their faith in Jesus. Now, you may ask me, like, why is that significant? Why is it significant that John is the only person who didn't die a martyr's death? Well, what's interesting about that, Josh McDowell, who's a Christian apologist, wrote a, a book called More Than a Carpenter, um, really put some effort and in, in writing into this and, and really came up with this evidence to the validity of Christianity that would say, who would die for a lie? Who would die for a lie? Now, a lot of people would die for a lie, but they wouldn't die for a lie knowing that it was a lie. One of the evidences of the validity of the resurrection of Jesus is the disciples' willingness to die for their faith and truth in the resurrection of Jesus. This is, this is a group of disciples who we see in the, in, in the New Testament in the gospel accounts who are running, fearful, afraid, scared, denying Jesus. Why in the world would they all of a sudden just turn and they're willing to die a martyr's death for their faith in Jesus? It's only because it's true. It's only because they experienced the resurrection of Jesus. These men were tortured, they were flogged, and most finally faced death by some of the cruelest methods known to men. And so what this proves is that the resurrection, and if the resurrection had not happened, these men wouldn't have done that. But here stands one, one who is willing to profess his faith in Jesus and does so even boldly here in the letter of 1 John. So John finds himself with second and third generation Christians, all right? So if, if you've ever played the game telephone where you whisper something in someone's ear and they pass it down and they pass it down and they pass it down, eventually the message begins to change. And here we are with second and third generation Christians and the message has begun to change. Who Jesus is has begun to change. The truth and validity of the gospel has begun to change. The nature and character of Jesus has begun to change. The honeymoon period has worn off. Devotion has begun to fade. False teaching has risen up and people are reverting to old ways of living. And here with a pastoral tone, John enters onto the scene and says over and over and over again, children, children. And that's not meant to be a demeaning term, but a, a, a term of compassion and love and, and pastor uh, care for these group of people. And really, if we were to sum up, and right there in the beginning of your discipleship guide, I, I clarified for us really our three main goals of First John, refining doctrine, sharpening obedience, and increasing devotion. 
That's our hope. If you ask us, like, what is our aim over the next 11 weeks? Refining doctrine, sharpening obedience, increasing devotion. In our kids' activities that we've provided and videos that are along in there, they talk about true teaching, true living, true loving. And that, that's really our goal, refining doctrine. As we're refining doctrine, here John is addressing second and third generation Christians. False teachers and false doctrines had risen up in the church, right? And what, what we see in a similar way in our culture today, we are currently being challenged on what we believe and why we believe it. And what John is going to portray through the letter of 1 John, he's, he's going to give a picture of Christology, the study of Christ, ecclesiology, the study of the church, anthropology, the study of man, and theology, the study of God. And as seen in the opening verses right here in 1 John, John wastes no time in his introduction to say, the one eternal God who became incarnate in his son, Jesus the Christ, who is the true God and eternal life. And we wrote, over the next 11 weeks, we're praying that you would have a real encounter with Jesus and be equipped with a rootedness in the word of life. That's our hope. Sharpening obedience. In reading the letter of 1 John, one cannot simply read the text and not be challenged with personal obedience. John writes in, in, in 1 John 1, 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not grace the truth. Over the next 11 weeks, we'll be discovering what it means to walk in the light and have fellowship with him. Many of us have been deceived, and we have followed the cultural stream of folly and foolishness, and the letter of 1 John will instruct us that knowing Jesus means being obedient to Jesus. And we're going to look at that in increasing devotion. Our calling is not only to be obedient to Jesus, but to love Jesus. As stated in 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loves us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We're not given an abstract principle to grasp here, but love made manifest in the person and work of Jesus. So as we go through this next 11 weeks, we encourage you to ask these three questions over and over and over again as we walk through this. Refining doctrine. What doctrinal truths do I need to know? What do I need to know? What do I need to believe? Sharpening obedience. What are the commands that I need to obey? How does my behavior need to change because of my beliefs? An increasing devotion. Who am I called to love and serve? These all hinge together. When you meet Jesus, your beliefs change. When your beliefs change, your behaviors change, your lifestyle changes, and when you belong, your relationships change. How you love one another and how you love God the Father, your devotion to one another changes. When you meet Jesus, this is what happens. And so what John is going to start off with, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And what, what John is going to start with here is what I call the proclamation. The proclamation. 
What is John proclaiming? We see in 1 John 1, 1 through 2, it says this, that which was from the beginning. Interesting. The beginning of what? The beginning of time? The beginning of John's life? What's he referring to here? That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen, which we've looked upon, which we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life, this life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was, from, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. What, what John is basically stepping on the scene here is, is defining who Jesus is. He's saying right here, Jesus is God. He was with the Father from the beginning. But he's also saying that Jesus is man. And both of these things are essential to the nature and character of Jesus. And he was speaking into some of the contradictory teachings of that time. Here's what I mean by that. There was a teaching rising up in the church during this time called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism basically meant that there was a superior knowledge that, that didn't really happen in, in, a, in a sense of like touching and having that type of experience, but just a, we, how we come to know what we know. And ultimately, under this idea of Gnosticism was this belief that the body was evil, that the body was sinful. And so there was no way that Jesus would take on human form, because to do so would be to take on evil upon himself. And here, John contradicts that very teaching by saying, no, he's not just a spirit. He's someone we actually touched. He's someone we actually experienced life with. He's someone we actually ate with. He's someone we actually enjoyed a meal with. It's someone we actually spent time with. He is a person. But he goes on and says that he was with the Father, that he is God in the flesh. What's interesting, in this time we see that some believe he was God, but not man. Some believe he was man, but not God. And John, right out of the gates, is going to give them some instruction that he is both God, fully God, and fully man. He's talking about the nature and character of Jesus. And you might be wondering, like, what difference does it really make? Well, it makes a lot of difference. And in fact, if you're here this morning, it's important that we understand we don't just call Jesus, Jesus, and as long as we got his name right, that everything's good. See, the, the false teaching that was rising up in the, in the church here was they knew the name of Jesus, but it wasn't Jesus. And the truth is, is we live in a context in a city that has a definition of Jesus that is very different than what our book of the Bible teaches us about the nature and character of Jesus. Does it matter? Absolutely. The name of Jesus, while it's a name, is very, very important. And the person and work of Jesus and the nature and character of Jesus is very important. What we see in this text is that 
John is saying out of the gates, he's fully God, fully man. If Jesus isn't who he says he is, because Jesus declared that, and if Jesus isn't who he said he was, then my friends, church, ecclesia, if he wasn't fully God, then you and I, we're still in our sins. And we have no assurance and no hope that we'll ever spend eternity. But at the very end of 1 John chapter 5, it says, I've written these things to you. Why? So that you may know that you have eternal life. He's out to give us assurance and hope. And that assurance and that hope is based on who Jesus is. It's essential. It's essential. That's why we look at people and I go, hey, you got a different Jesus. And if you got a different Jesus, then you don't have hope of the resurrection. And I want to make sure, I want to make certain that you have the Jesus of the Bible. And that's what we want to teach and that's what we want to proclaim. And John comes proclaiming it. He wastes no time. It's no introduction. It's not, hey, I'm John, I'm one of the apostles, just want to come and talk to you for a few minutes. What does he get to? He's like, it's Jesus. My question is, do we waste time with people in our lives talking all about our accomplishments, all about what we've done, all about our significance, and fail to tell them the most important thing about Jesus? John has a message to proclaim. And what he's telling them is, children, church, my beloved ones, I love you. And it's essential that you know who Jesus is. And it's essential that you proclaim, that you testify, that you make known who he is. We may ask this morning, what difference does the incarnation of Jesus, the fact that Jesus took on human flesh, because that's what John is telling John's not only given a testimony to the reality of like, hey, I spent time with Jesus. I was with him. I sat in a room with him. He's talking about the very fact that God took on flesh. What comfort does that give you? Let me give you four. Number one, it's a source of great comfort. Here's why. Because Jesus experienced what you experienced as a human. That's so important. This wasn't just God taking on, like he became a human. He experienced pains, wounds, sadness, everything that you experience as a human. It gives validity to the truth of the Bible. Why? Because the Old Testament testifies that God's going to become flesh. It, it gives us truth, that's important. It gives us hope because Jesus can, Jesus can mediate between God and man. Jesus is the only one who took on both of those natures. And Jesus is our mediator. And Jesus' incarnation, it reveals to us what mission must look like. Jesus was sent to us in the same way that we are sent to a world that doesn't know Jesus. It's so important for us to have the identity of Jesus and that it be correct. R.G. Lee, in a very succinct way, says this truth and validity about Jesus, and I love this. He says, Jesus was the only man who had a heavenly father, but no heavenly mother, who had an earthly mother, but no earthly father, who was older than his mother, and who was old as his father. 
you're like, man, that's confusing, right? Yeah, that's Jesus. That's who Jesus is, and that so succinctly defines who he is. No one else can say that. And you're like, well, you know, I had an uncle once. No, I'm serious. No one else can say this, right? Like, this is the truth of who Jesus is. What does he do with this message? Well, he saw it. He testifies to it, and he proclaims it. Martin Lloyd-Jones, great pastor, proclaimer, teacher, uh, who I'll reference a lot because uh, he has a very thick book on the book of 1 John called Life in Christ that is amazing. Um, And so I will quote him often during the series, but he says this, it seems to me that it is beyond any doubt whatsoever that the present state of the church is mainly, if not entirely, due to the fact that we ourselves have become uncertain of our message. It's all about certainty. Christian ministers have become uncertain about the miracles, uncertain about the supernatural, uncertain about the person of Christ. Hesitancy and doubt have come in. And at last, this has become true of the common people everywhere. And there's querying and doubting, but the uncertainty began with the preaching. And once we cease to declare and to show we haven't departed from the New Testament position, that then is the message for the church herself at a time like this. She must cease to hesitate or to be nervous or uncertain. We are to stand by these things. And if we stand by them, we need not consider the question of following. The world may fall away from the church, but let it do so, for she will have to listen again to the message. For the message is a proclamation. This is the first principle. Here's the thing. The book of 1 John was written to us to give us certainty of the message. If you hear me this morning, you're probably like, he's sounding pretty certain up there. Like, he's pretty forceful with his voice. Like, he's, he sounds certain that Jesus is who he says he is. Yes! And that's the same certainty that we want our church to have, that we want every common people to have because this is the message that we are to proclaim. And this is what John is going to write towards us so that we will be certain in what we have. And if we're certain, we'll proclaim it. We'll proclaim it. We need to know the message of Jesus. How would you explain your meeting of Jesus? Here John testifies that he he touched, he saw, he heard, he looked upon. There's a reality to that experience. Are you sure of the message and truth of Jesus? Have you had a real encounter with Jesus? Have you met Jesus in the same way that John testifies seeing and experiencing Jesus John's gospel, John chapter 14, says that the fact that Jesus would ascend to the right hand of the Father is not that we would know him any less, but that we would actually know him more through the sending of his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit living inside of us testifies to the reality and experience of Jesus. You are equipped, you are an expert as a believer in Jesus, for one who can testify in the same way who can proclaim this message of Jesus. 
do you feel like you have authority of the experience and nature of Jesus? You do. You're qualified to teach on it. I say all the time, and some may disagree, and that's okay. It's, you're okay to disagree. But I think social media should, should require that everyone has to log in their credentials to be able to speak on certain topics. Now, here's what we see in our time, that some people who actually are qualified to speak on it um, are actually being shut down on social media, right? We see that. But I think it would be helpful if, like, you had to get on social media and you had to log in your credentials. That way we didn't have to, like, like waffle through, like, what is true or what to believe because it's like everyone has a platform on every different topic. And the reality is, is everyone shouldn't have a platform. Because there's a lot of things that I shouldn't be telling you about. I'm not an expert in. I don't have experience in, right? What it's like to be a woman. If I shared that with you, you would dismiss everything I have to say. Yes. Some of you are shaking your heads. Yes. Right? Because I, I don't have any experience. I'm not qualified to teach in that regard. Now, I went to Bible college. I went to graduate school. I have some doctoral work. I should be able to log in. I should be able to be a voice that should be able to speak into what is the Word of God? How is the, the truth of God declared to us? I should, I should have some credentials and experience in what it says. I'm from Texas, so I'm equipped on how to make good barbecue. I've told you that. And I know some of you from Kansas City, you would disagree, but that's okay. You're qualified to speak on it as well. We'll let your voice be heard. I'm 40. There's a lot that comes with being 40 years old that qualifies you to like teach. You shouldn't read books written from 16-year-olds on the meaning of life, right? Now, if we're like want an insight into a teenager's life, like a 16-year-old can tell us a lot about that. A 16-year-old can tell us a lot of like what it looks like to navigate Christian life in a high school setting today what it looks like to be prepared for the collegiate setting as you step into college. There's a lot of wisdom in that, but it's like, are you, what, what are you qualified to teach on? What John is doing in the first part of this is he's logging in his social media credentials and like, hey, just in case you wondered, um, I spent three years with Jesus. The, the guy you're claiming to teach on, that you're talking about his nature and character, yeah, I spent three years with him. I ate with him. I saw him perform miracles. I saw him get tired. I saw him weep. I saw him crucified. I saw the risen Jesus. John is qualified. He is a qualified expert voice to speak on these areas. And he's proclaiming. The second thing is, he's participating. And John has given us an invitation into participation. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, it says, 
that which we have seen, which we've heard, we also proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And so what's, what's John saying? He's saying, I'm having fellowship with God the Father and Jesus. I'm, I'm experiencing the reality and nature of participating, of being in relationship with the Trinity. And I'm writing these things to you because I'm participating in it, I'm having fellowship in it, and I want you to have fellowship also. I want you to experience what I'm experiencing. I want you to have the type of fellowship and participation that I'm having. And he says, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The word fellowship is interesting. A lot of us who maybe have never grown up in church or, or maybe you've stepped into uh, church as you see it now, like we're mobile church where we set up. A lot of churches back in the day had a fellowship hall. If you grew up and you had a fellowship hall, raise your hand. Fellowship hall. Yeah. We loved fellowship hall, right? Why? Because you would go to fellowship hall and that's where you would share like Thanksgiving dinner with the church family, right? This is where you'd go and they'd have like prayer meetings in the church, like fellowship hall. This was a hall where fellowship. Now what's interesting about that is like it, it almost painted a picture that like fellowship happened like once a week or, or like once a month or once a quarter. Like you had to go to this hall to do it. And the reality is it's, it's not necessarily about like even just the physical presence of being with one another, but the common bond and the common mission that, that a people would share together. And what John is talking about here is John is talking about that type of fellowship, the, the deep bond and connection, the common mission, the common beliefs, the common patterns, the common obedience that they would walk in together. They were both like seeking Jesus together. And as we talked about one of our dreams, like we want to follow Jesus together. We want to walk together in his mission. We want to follow Jesus in obedience together. And it's not just about community. It's about deep bond in devotion to one another. One definition was a, a common living of people who have a shared experience. And that's really what John is, is testifying to here. He said, the same experience that I have, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to have that same experience. You're going to have that same type of participation. You're going to have that same sense of knowing. You're going to have that same sense of assurance. And what's interesting is, is the book of, of, of 1 John was the book that really helped me come to know Jesus. And here's why. When I was 18 years old, I found myself at summer camp, and the camp pastor was walking through the book of 1 John. And what the camp pastor was describing is how John participated and walked in the footsteps and in fellowship with Jesus. And you know what I realized? I realized in that moment, as he began to describe what fellowship with Jesus looks like, I didn't have it. I didn't have it. 
I realized as he was describing the reality and the encounter and the fellowship and the deep bond and the partnership and the relationship with Jesus that I sat there and I go, you know what? It's all up here in my head. Like I know those things, but Jesus isn't real to me. There isn't a sense of like that experiential, the relational aspect that when I go back to John chapter 14 and 15, that abiding, I don't know what it looks like to abide. I don't know what it looks like to have this encounter. I remember sitting at a table with a group of guys that were walking through Equip together last semester, and we were at a restaurant. And I heard us, like, I was kind of listening to the group discuss as I was kind of interpreting how other tables around us were hearing us. And it was almost as if, like, when we talked about our relationship with Jesus, it's like, you know, I need to read my Bible more. And, like, this is, I'm just giving an example. This isn't, but it was like, I just need to read my Bible more. I need to, you know, be more faithful at attending church and like all those are great things but I just thought about like from a table outside if they're trying to sum up what Christianity is and they're listening in on our table it wasn't the definition that John gives here of a fellowship with the father and fellowship with Jesus it the love relationship I mean, I can imagine us, what if we sat at a table and was like, hey, I was talking to Jesus the other day. One, people around you would probably think you're crazy, right? But, you know, I was talking to Jesus the other day. I felt like, you know, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, he just began to share with me. And, like, I just felt so close to him. And, and like, but that's the reality of what John is, is describing here, this type of fellowship and this type of participation. Friends, this is the type of relationship, of fellowship, of participation that John is going to invite us into. It's the difference between just being a professional Christian and showing up at church and really knowing Jesus. Having deep fellowship. Martin Lloyd-Jones again. Now this is a very important subject. Let us look at it like this. The apostle tells these people that he longs for them to share with him and the other apostles the experience that they have. In other words, we can lay down this fundamental rule. No one can be a Christian without, being, without experiencing what the first apostles experienced. We say John, in, in effect, he said, we're eyewitnesses. We saw, we handled, we touched, we heard. He spoke to us. He breathed the Holy Ghost upon us, and we received this blessing from him. Now, he says, we want you all to come and share in this joy and experience with us. It's the same experience. Do you have that type of experience? Is that your understanding of what it means to be in fellowship with Jesus and God the Father? And then we see, lastly, the purpose. 1 John 1, 3 through 4, he gives us the purpose. 
Number one, he's telling us all these things so that we can have fellowship. Praise God. Because if you're here and you're like, that's not my reality, I hope, one, today that it might become your reality, or two, in the next 11 weeks that that becomes your reality as we walk through this, that you would have fellowship in the same way that John has fellowship. Or number two, verse four, we're writing these things to you so that your joy may be complete. That phrase, joy may be complete, literally means permanently filled. Permanently. It's not like the gas tank of your car, you go fill it up, $100 worth of gas right now, right? Like, man, how are we going to do this? We're all riding bicycles, right? And the gas tank empties, and then you go and you fill. It's not like that. He's saying that there is a type of fellowship and relationship that you can have with God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit that your life will be permanently filled forever starting right now. This is why he's writing. Now, I don't know a single person in the room who would raise their hand and be like, that sounds good and all, but I'm, I'm not interested in having my joy permanently filled. I like it to run out from time to time. In fact, I, I love being unhappy and discouraged. No! Guys, he tells us right here out of the gates, it's through fellowship with Jesus and fellowship with one another that our joy may be complete. Martin Lloyd-Jones, this, he says, let me emphasize again, is the essence, the summum bonum, which means the highest good of the Christian life. What is it? What is it that we get from being Christian? It is the theme, the objective of everything that has been done by the Lord Jesus Christ, who did not come to earth merely to give us exalted teaching. It's not just about teaching. It's not just about rules that we can apply to human relationships, though that's there and it follows. He did not merely come to save us from hell. It's not about what we're running from. I want to avoid hell. I don't want to go there. I just want fire insurance to make sure I don't go there. So I'm going to choose Jesus and go to heaven. That's definitely a great benefit, right? He came to bring us into fellowship with the Father and with himself. That's the key. That's the key. That's why the book of 1 John was written. People are misunderstanding who Jesus is. People have a different definition of Jesus. People don't understand the nature and character of Jesus. People don't know how to live in obedience to Jesus. People don't know what it looks like to be devoted to Jesus. And John comes on the scene and says, 
let me reintroduce you. Or let me introduce you for the first time. So here's what I want you to hear, church. Do you have assurance this morning that you know Jesus? Do you have the type of fellowship that John is describing? That you share in these experiences, that you share in the reality of knowing Jesus, that you have fellowship with Jesus? Is your life permanently filled with joy? Do you know Jesus? And I feel like I'd be amiss this morning if I didn't give you an opportunity to know him. Every relationship begins with an introduction. There was a time when you showed up at Ecclesia for the first time, and you walked in that door, and if I haven't had an opportunity yet, I would love the opportunity, but you walked in the door, and hopefully there was an encounter that said, hey, hi, my name's Justin. What's your name? And you said, my name is Greg. My name is Pam. My name is Becca. And we introduced ourselves. And in that moment, relationship began. In that moment, there was an introduction and a start. One doesn't just grow up and they're Christian. There's an introduction. There's a beginning of your relationship with Jesus where you come to understand the truth and reality of Jesus, where the light bulb clicks on. For me, 1999. Panama City Beach, Florida. I sat there. I heard the reality of Jesus for the very first time. And it clicked. That's, that's a person I want to know. That's a person I want to give my life to. That's a person I want to be devoted to. That's a person I want to be in fellowship with. If he would go to the cross for me, a sinner, if he would love me that much, if he would give his life for me, then why would I not give him my life and say, do with it what you will? So my question to you this morning, have you been introduced to Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And what I want you to do, and I'm not trying to manipulate you, but I want you to focus, and I don't want you to make this decision with anyone else but you. And I'll tell you out of the gates that here in a second, if you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to respond. And by responding, I'm going to say like, hey, I want you to go and meet one of our elders in the back of the room. And all you need to say is, Hey, what Jesus, what Jesus, what Justin talked today about Jesus, I want that. That's all you need to say, and they'll take it from there. They'll take it from there. They'll pray for you, they'll encourage you, 
and they'll make sure that we walk alongside you to help you know Jesus in this way. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to totally focus, listen in. We're going to take five more minutes. And as a way of response, if you're here this morning and you say, I know Jesus in this way. I have that type of experience with Jesus. I have that type of fellowship with Jesus. One, I would just pray for you and pray, ask you to pray for yourself over the next 11 weeks. Would God give you a fresh encounter of his presence? Would God awaken your spirit to his spirit and his work in your life over the next 11 weeks? And would you pray for those here in just a minute who are going to put their faith and trust in Jesus for the first time? For those of you who are here this morning and you say, Justin, I've never put my faith in Jesus. I've never trusted in Jesus. I want to know Jesus the way John describes knowing Jesus, the way John describes fellowship with Jesus. If that's you this morning, I just want you to simply raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you. That's the first step. If you just say, hey, that's me, just raise your hand. No one looking around. You've probably been in a church and you've seen people do this. I'm not trying to manipulate anyone here. I'm just trying to get you to a place where you say yes to Jesus. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand? You say, I want to know Jesus in that way. If that's you this morning, raise your hand. Amen. Those of you who are raising your hand, I just want you to follow after me. There's nothing magical about this prayer. There's nothing magical about this words. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So quite simply, in the best way that you know how, confess your need for Jesus. Just say simply, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need your forgiveness. Jesus, I need you to set me free from my sin. Lord Jesus, I give you my life because you laid down your life for me. Because you first loved us, I give my life to you. Jesus, would you help me in the best way that I know how live for you in the days ahead? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Everybody look right here at me. Jesus has given us an invitation. John has given us an invitation. And like I said earlier, at the very end of 1 John chapter 5, he wants us to have assurance. There is a hope, there is an encouragement that we get to live every single day of our life with. That as one of the pastors here at Ecclesia, I don't want you to spend another day without. I want you to have the hope of the resurrection. I want you to have the encouragement that you can be permanently filled with joy. That's our hope and that's our prayer. We're going to have a team in the back of the room, 
uh, a team of people who are there to pray. Um, some of our elders are going to be there to, to walk us through, encourage. If that's you this morning, if you have prayed and asked the Lord to save you this morning, if you've given your life to Jesus this morning, our, our pastors will be back there. We will have people back there ready to pray. If there's just a prayer need, and here's the thing, I've watched over the last several weeks, all of us need prayer. All of us. And these people, they're, they're here because they want to encourage you and walk alongside and pray. And the family of God comes alongside one another. We want to pray for one another. And so if you have any type of prayer need, you're like, hey, I hope, I'm praying that I pass my test this week and I need everything that I haven't studied to go into my head by osmosis this week. We want to pray for that because I made that prayer a lot, right? If you're like, hey, I'm praying for the salvation of my friend or family member or my neighbor, we want to pray for that. If you're here this morning because you're saying, I want to walk in deeper obedience and devotion to Jesus, we want to pray for that. We are here because we want to encourage and walk with you. And so in the next few minutes, we're going to sing, and I'm just going to ask you to respond. Just respond, church. This is a safe place. There's not one of us here that doesn't have a need, that doesn't need. You can never be too encouraged, right? We all need it. I love you guys. I'm excited for this next 10 weeks. I believe God's going to do a great work in us through this book. Let me pray together. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for how it teaches us, instructs us. Thank you for the boldness of John who proclaims this message. Help us to have that type of boldness. Thank you for an experience and participation with God the Father that we all desire to have. We want to know, see, look upon, touch. We want that. We want to have the reality of that. And Lord, we want to be filled with joy. So we pray over the next several months that your joy would fill us, that we would experience the presence of Jesus by being filled with the Holy Spirit. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. And if you need to respond or pray, please reach out to our friends.